wife is What's going to happen is you're going to get the printout every week that you come. Okay? You're going to continue to compile uh, those lessons so that you can, because you're going to be, uh, hopefully be taking notes. Amen? Every word that is spoken, whether it's through Sunday school or through the messages that are preached, you should get some. Amen. So write those things down. You know, when we study, right, those of those of us who preached before, you know, you study, and you're putting notes together based upon what you're getting as you're studying, right? So things that stand out to you. And so it's no different, though, when you come here. It's like, okay, yeah, well, I, you know, I took some time to study what I'm about to present. We hope, right? But when you come... Hopefully you are impacted by what's being said. And it's not really that it's anything new. But maybe God gives you a different perspective about what is being said on that particular day. And so, uh, you know, it's not really a lot of material to read. Okay, there's quite a few scriptures in there. There's not a lot of material to read. Um, but you, So you'll be getting that every week. But there's, if you notice, I believe there's a notes page in there. Um... Uh, where you can take notes, okay? So we've even provided that for you, so you can take that down. And as you build, uh, as the lessons build, your book will continue to build, and hopefully you'll have this to refer back to uh, throughout some time, or share with others uh, as you go on in your walk with Christ. Conquering your giants is what we're talking about. Conquering your giants. And so... We're going to begin with our focus verse, our focus scripture, and we're going to spend some time in that. We'll talk about a few things that transpired about that. And then uh, we will continue on. This is part one. Part one will happen today of this lesson, lesson one. And lesson one is talking about the conqueror. We're identifying the conqueror, the character of a conqueror. What is it, what is it that a conqueror to have you so that you can be a conqueror. Amen? At the end of the day, the Bible says that we are more than what? Through. We cannot forget that part. That is the most important part of that. We are only made conquerors through Christ. Amen? Alright. So 1 Samuel chapter 17 uh, where we'll begin our focus. So hopefully you bring in your Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Everybody have it? Nothing new. I'm going to pull out some things that we can get out of 
Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoka, which belonged to Judah and pitched between Shoka and Ephrathah and Ephrathah. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. There was a valley between them. You know, sometimes when I look at this scripture, obviously this is talking about what's happening physically, what was physically there, right? So we're getting a picture of the terrain got two sides, and in between them there is a valley. The children of Israel on one side, and the Philistines are on the other. One of the things that I looked at from this is that, you know, sometimes before you can get to your point of victory, you've got to cross through that low point or that valley. You know, sometimes it's like that in life. The things that we deal with. You almost feel like, man, this is, is there any hope in this situation? Get out of this situation. Sometimes that's all it is, is just like that. But it's a temporary place to be, not a permanent place. Amen? And if you can get through that valley, and you cross over onto the other side, you'll find out that everything is just going to be all right. Scripture says, we may endure for night, but what? See, when you get in that valley, what happens, the way I look at it, that's probably the lowest point you can be is in the valley. But now, as you climb your way to the top, yes, it's rough, yes, it's tough, sometimes it's challenging, sometimes you want to give up, but don't quit. Amen? Because there is another side. Now, you left from the side that you were at. You crossed through the valley. You already went to your lowest point. Say there's, there's only one way to go, and that's what? Up. That's where we're aspiring to go, right? Is up. Amen. So, if you're crossing through a valley, just know. Only way only place to go now is up. So continue up. Don't give up. Climb up. Amen. Continue progressing. But here in the story it says, There went out a champion. Okay. Verse 4, there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. All right, so how many people know what, how tall that is? Bible scholars. Nine feet, nine inches. Anybody else got different? Uh, say close <laughs> we got a guy I work with, didn't that's that's kind of his response. Yeah, I concur with that. <laughs> Everybody agree with that? Nine feet? Nine inches? I've, and I've heard, you know, different figures, but it's it's always around there. Between nine feet and six inches and ten feet. I don't think anybody's ever said ten feet, but it's always been nine feet. So nine feet, nine inches is what we're going to go with. Okay? That's the tallest I've I've heard. So... Thank you, Brother DeMuth. Hopefully that's correct. No. <laughs> nine feet, nine inches. That's pretty tall, right? How, how tall is a basketball goal? 
the rim. It's about what? Is it 10 feet? That's pretty tall. Well, okay, I'm sorry. For all of y'all that's taller than I am, that's tall for me. I'm not that tall. When I look up at that basketball goal, I get an idea of how tall Goliath might have been. Now, I imagine he wasn't just tall. <laughs> he had some weight to him. Right? When we look here, we, we find out in verse 5, it says he had a helmet of brass upon his head. So I'm pretty sure that has some weight to it. He was armed with a coat of mail. Now, I haven't done full research on that, but I've heard different things about how the stuff that they wore to keep them from being you know, stabbed with the sword and stuff is supposed to help. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. How, how, how much is that? 166 pounds. So he's already got some height to him. 166 pounds of armor so far that we talked about. That's not even including the helmet. That's just the coat he was wearing. He had greaves of brass upon his legs and the target of brass between his shoulders. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. Anybody know what that is? A weaver's beam? Oh, no, I'm asking. It's not rhetorical. You can imagine, right? This is now. You, now we're, we're compiling this together. It's painting a picture for us. All right. So so far, 166 pounds of just what he's wearing. His coat, not including the helmet. Okay. And now we're talking about the size of his spear. Weighed 600 shekels of iron. Now I know iron is already heavy. And one bearing a shield went before him. You better be watching. So this guy, I mean, he's loaded. He's tall, he's big, and he's got a lot of weight to him. I mean, and for him to fight in a battle, he had to have been, you know, some... some I don't know, 300 pounds or so. Solid. Not, you know, but solid. To be able to carry this and fight. Huh? <laughs> so this is, a, this is a huge guy. He stood and cried. Now here's the, th here's the deal. We're about to fight. Everybody's armed. We're ready to go. The Israelites are on one side, and now, mind you now, the Israelites, it, this wasn't their first battle. So they understood that, okay, there was going to be a fight. They understood why they were there. There was nothing new to them. But all of a sudden, the Philistines had a bright idea and says, you know what? Rather than for us to go out there and fight this war, we're going to send out our champions. 
I imagine, I just imagine in my mind that the Philistines must have had some doubt about what the outcome of that battle would be if they pursued Israel in conventional warfare. If we go hand to hand, there's a big possibility we might lose. Because if you don't know, they heard about the children of Israel. They understood that it wasn't just the children of Israel operating, but they had a power that was on their side that no one else could really overcome. So rather than for us to just go up hand-to-hand hand combat, we're going to send somebody there. We're pretty confident is going to win this fight. So he stood there, he cried to the armies of Israel and said unto them, why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine? And ye servants to Saul? Just by virtue of his lineage and where he comes from, he's already making an insinuation. He's already given the implication that they're really nobody. By virtue of me being a Philistine, that represents power. That represents high position. You guys are just servants. You're really nobody. He says, choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. One man. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. Isn't it crazy that the whole country's, the whole nation's faith is just in the hands of fight between, between just two people with the term and the faith of a whole country. Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that, they, that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This is why I pointed out the, the appearance of Goliath. Look at what happened. All these men that are trained to fight, they know how to use a sword. They know how to use a shield. They know how to maneuver. They know how to go out and, and kill the enemy. So what were they afraid of? If they were used to warfare, this wasn't their first battle, what was it that they were afraid of? A one-on-one -on -one battle. But now, I'm pretty sure that they've gone hand-to-hand -hand combat with individuals. Oh, so it was the size. Is that what? Muhammad Ali. Intimidation. Why? Because this is not just a regular man that we see. His appearance... We're not even worried about the words that he's speaking, but his appearance. Even the king himself. It's hard to get somebody motivated. You get a group of people and you're supposed to be the leader. And you, it's hard to get them motivated if you're afraid. You hide. What you think your people going to do?
soon as a challenge comes about, the question we ask ourselves is, are we going to run or are we going to face those challenges? It doesn't matter what it appears to be or it shouldn't matter, but for some folks it does. So what do they do? Run and hide. I'm afraid because of the way my situation looks. Goliath, I mean, 10 feet tall. I just, I, you know, I can't imagine somebody 10 feet tall coming to me talking about, hey, you want to fight? Let me think about that for a second. Hold on. I need to strategize. <laughs> Pretty big dude. But look what happens in verse 12. David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. All right, so Jesse has three older sons. I'm paraphrasing. You see this in the scripture. I'm trying to go verse by verse. So I'm going to skip over today. But Jesse has three older sons. And they were going to fight for Saul. They were going to fight in the army of Israel. The names of the three sons, you had Eliab, which was the firstborn. The next one was Abinadab. And then the third one was Shammah. David was the youngest. And three eldest followed Saul. David went, verse 15, and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Philistines drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. That is a long time for one man to keep a whole army at bay. Day after day, here is this one man and he's chanting the same request. Send me one man to fight. One of the epidemics that we face in our world today is men who will actually stand up and be men. Life becomes so challenging now that I have to second guess my position in life and perhaps what I'm called to be. And instead of me standing, what am I doing? Tuck tail, running high. And we wonder why our families are messed up. I'm just speaking the truth. I'm not speaking hate message. I'm not speaking to be vindictive. But it's the truth. I mean, how else will we grow and develop if we don't know the truth? The truth is supposed to do what? Not set you free make you free. Because outside of truth, you have no freedom. Only in the truth do we remain free. Because the truth will make you free. But we need men. We need somebody to stand in the gap for these young boys who have no direction 
you know, the response now for every situation, every altercation is just violence now. Remember that back in the day, at least you used to fight. You get knocked down, you know, you hope you live to see the next day. Hope, you know, most of the time. Now there's no question, there's no discussion, there's nothing. You don't even see it coming. You play a basketball game now. These young kids out there playing basketball and they having a fun, you know, party, talking trash, whatever the case may be. And next thing you know, somebody got beat, they got their pride hurt. They just left the basketball court and they come back and somebody gets shot and their life gets taken over a game. It's not made up, it's real. But it's dumb. That's an ignorant person. But ignorant people remain ignorant if they're not exposed. And if I don't have a father in my life telling me, and you know what, let me, let me say this. I'm a young person, I got it. But it doesn't matter how old you get, it doesn't matter how old your children are, you still can impart some truth to them. It's never too late. It's amazing to me how quickly we'll give up because, well, I just, you know, I had my chance when they was growing up and I missed it and, oh, well, all hope is lost. No, all hope is not lost. God is still on the throne. He's still got all power in his hands, right? So if he's still got power and he's still giving us grace and mercy, there's still a chance. children may grow up and they may, you know, now we, we endeavor to try to teach them as much as we can. But at the end of the day, if you leave the things of God, you call me, know and trust and believe, I'm going to tell you the truth. My siblings call me, you know, they, they've been exposed to church, they've been exposed to some of the things that we learned. Hey, you call me, you decide to live another lifestyle, don't be surprised when I'm telling you the truth. I love you, but I'm going to still tell you the truth. My family member, I'm just saying, I'm just sugarcoat it. Oh, well, it's just all hope is lost. No, all hope is not lost. I told y'all last week, you know, my brother, he, he think he's Muslim, you know. He ain't never been no, in the Middle East, but somehow he thinks he's from Islam. But anyhow, when he calls or whenever we get the chance to talk, I'm still imparting the truth to him. If he desires to talk, we're talking. I'll tell him the truth. In love. It's never too late until it's too late. Like Brother Wayne said, if you're no longer breathing, then you just sit. So we gotta we gotta take this, we gotta take a stand. We gotta be willing to stand and not worry about running away just because the problem seems impossible to overcome. The challenge may seem great, but you can still overcome that challenge. question is, what are you going to decide to do? With every opportunity we get, every chance that we get, we ought to be assertive in the lifestyle that we live as Christians. There should be no running and hiding. It's not just talking about men from a, I mean, yes, we got men and I'm a man, so, you know, I understand that 
I got four sons, and I'm responsible for raising them to become young men. But it's the ladies, too. We're all one in the, in the body of Christ, right? So it's time for us to take a stand. And I'm not talking about going out there and holding up picket signs and saying, you know, protesting and everything else. But it's time for us to take a stand and set a difference. To make sure we're standing out from amongst the world. That means we're not doing the things of the world. Amen? And when challenges come our way, we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus already told us we were going to go through some things. The misconception that you live for God and all your problems dissipate and go away. He said, in fact, you're probably going to go through some more things as a child of God. Be prepared. Be ready. But don't run and hide. He said, watch and what? Pray that you enter not into temptation. Not only enter, but don't be overtaken. He says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with. So you can't overcome. Amen? But you got to make up in your mind whether you're going to stand or whether you're just going to run and hide. Just because the problem looks giant don't mean that that's the biggest thing that exists. Amen? Jesse said to David one day, he says, Take now for thy brother in the ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brother. Man, that sounds appetizing. Y'all know what they give the soldiers, those of you who've been enlisted? been in the military, you know what they give the soldiers out there in the field a lot of times. Well, it's different now. They just, they have, yes, they have defects out there, warm meals, just got all kinds of amenities out there and things that they didn't used to have. But before, it used to be MREs, and the MREs didn't used to be what they are now. So I got it. Yes, we a little spoiled. I listened to all the old timers say, yeah, well, we had, we had the metal pot and all that other stuff that they had back in the day, and That's all right. But you got options now. Salisbury steak. They got it. omelets in there. I'm like, man, how you put that in an MRE? But they got it. Got your little heating packet in there now. Pour a little water in the bottom and it'll heat up for you. Now you got a warm meal. <laughs> you want some Mexican stuff? They got some rice and some... Some beans and some other stuff in there. You get the soldiers going now to get it when they when they pull out the MRE boxes, everybody looking. Before it just take and go. <laughs> whatever you get is whatever you get. Now they digging looking. I need to find my favorite meal. They know the number and everything. It's got numbers on it. They know the number of their favorite meal. Time to change. We're not getting 10 cheeses no more. But he told me, he says, carry this corn, carry the stuff to them, carry uh, 10 cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look, go find out how your brothers are doing. See if they have any requests. We got all kinds of things now out there. MWR and all the other, you know, programs they got or uh, uh, services that they have to to cater to 
help the morale, uh, keep the morale up for the soldiers now. Care packages is what they call them. They send all kinds of stuff. But when I was over there, I got my first care package. I didn't even know. It was from someplace. I don't even know. And I opened that, back, that box, and it had some snacks in there and all kinds of stuff. I said, oh, man. I can't go to Walmart down here, but it's all right. I got some stuff I ain't had before. It was, you know, it was nice. But they didn't have that luxury back then. Can you imagine fighting out there back, back then in that type of warfare? The challenges you face already is, man, when we going to get our next meal? What our next meal going to be? We're going to have to catch a quail just to, you know, we had to go hunting while we out here. They ain't carry just, you know, supplies of food like we have now. And they got refrigerators and everything that they bring out there. Just, you know, connexes that just keep things. I'm amazed. Well, we got it made now, but they didn't have all that stuff back then. So Jesse was one of the family members that says, I'm going to send stuff out, not only to my son, but I'm going to send stuff out to those who are commanding or who are in charge of my sons. He says, but go out there and find out what they need. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah. See, they in the valley, right? Where were they to begin with? We said they were pitched where? All right. Fighting with the Philistines. Now, the battle hadn't started, though. They were just there to fight. But what happened with when Goliath came out? He said, send me a man, right? Did they send a man? Not yet. Forty days, they hear this. David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array army against army. They were ready. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into, ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, here comes the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines. And he spake the same words that he was speaking to them for the last 40 days or so, asking for someone to come out and fight with him. But this time, David happens to hear what Goliath had to say. Look at what happened. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. I'm just trying to figure out how many times they kept going back to the same valley. Every time they saw him, they were running away. How many times do we have to face the same challenges before we just say, you know what, make up in our mind, I'm not going to keep going through this. I got to overcome. I'm ready for something different. I'm ready to progress. In the military, you know, we, we go from place to place. And one of the things that's exciting about going from one place to another is that we expect that it's going to be a different experience, a better experience than what we had before. But now if we don't learn the things we're supposed to learn, when we get to the next place, it might be that much more challenging than the first place we came from. If we're still not proficient in our tasks, the things that we know we're supposed to know and do, when we get to the next place, it may be that much more challenging for us. 
the leadership gonna look at us and they're gonna expect one thing and we're not gonna deliver and it's gonna it's gonna be a hard road as children of God you know one of the worst things you can do is this church hop because I'm going from one place to another hoping that the next the next place I go to that experience is gonna be different but if my heart is not right and I'm not where I'm supposed to be in the things of God, it doesn't matter where I go. I'm still going to have a hard time. If I had a hard time with the pastor from the church I came from, chances are I'm still going to have some issues with the next pastor. If I couldn't get along with my brothers and sisters in the previous place I came from, chances are I'm going to find some reason why I can't get along with my brothers and sisters in the new place that I go to. But at some point, I've got to do a self-examination and say, is my heart right? Am, do I have myself together? Am I ready to progress? Or am I stuck in a rut? Am I the one running and hiding? Am I the one revisiting this same thing over and over again? A lot of times, those are the people that look, up, look at other people, they're getting blessed, and God is doing stuff for them, and they get envious, bitter, jealous. Why? God is blessing them. Perhaps they're doing what they're supposed to do, position themselves in the things of God. And God is elevating them. Emotions come from where? But we got to position ourselves to receive, right? We talked about that last week. got to position yourself to receive what God has for you. We know that concept in school. When you take a test in school, if you fail the test, what do you have to do? Take it over, right? Because that test is there to examine whether or not you are proficient in the things that you were taught. It's going to show. It's not the teacher's fault. The teacher did their job, hopefully. They put the information out there. Now, if I didn't pay attention, I didn't pay attention, Sister Bell, so I'm sitting there in the class twiddling my thumbs and doing everything else. Now they texting class. That's crazy to me. They got all kinds of things going on in class now. They ain't Facebooking, you know, they ain't have all that social media stuff available to kids before. But if I don't pay attention and it's time to take that test and I fail that test, that's a reflection on me. So when they say, Johnny, I'm sorry, you're going to have to retake this test. I'm sorry, Johnny, we can't, we can't pass you on to the next grade. I know the world is changing now. You know, academics, we're going to push you forward. That's a mistake. I don't know what's, what, I mean, how do we get to that point? We just start pushing them forward. Yeah, you failed, but that's okay. You ready for the next level. How does that make sense? We're setting them up for failure. And God will be setting us up for failure if he says, I'm going to go ahead and let you go to the next challenge. I'm going to go ahead and let you go to the next level in life, in our relationship. And you're not even ready here to pass the first step. Are y'all with me? I'm not drawing it out. I'm taking my time. That's okay with y'all, right? Okay. 
Oh, I got some notes here. I'm just, I'm just going through here. Yes, ma'am. Right. We didn't get there yet, but thank you, Sister Bell. Outstanding. It makes a difference. We might as well go there. Sister Bell already opened up the can of uh, sardines, so. I don't like worms, so. They ran away from him. The man of Israel said, Have, we, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king, will enrich him with great... Let me figure this out. The king is going to reward whoever it is that defeats Goliath. But the king, where's the king at? siblings that you know one of them is scared, one of them is scared and one of them is just adventurous like they just they know no danger that's what it seemed like usually it's, it used to be the younger one that would talk all the noise because they knew they had an older sibling and they go out there and they say all kinds yeah I tell you what you might be able to beat me but you can't beat my brother he gonna come out here. He gonna demolish you. Let me go get my brother now. Now, now look. Where am I in the fight now? But wait a minute. I'm in the background though. Get him, Joe. Get him. Take him down, Joe. <laughs> and I hope Joe can fight. Because he beat me up pretty good, so obviously he must be able to... Get him, Joe. When it's all said and done, we go, high five, man. I'm going to congratulate you for fighting a battle that I started, but I couldn't finish the king, they, they, all the people knew it. It says he's going to give him great riches and his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel if they go and fight against this man. I told you, it's hard to motivate somebody. Notice, now all the stuff that he promised them, guess what? Did anybody go fight? Forty days. That's 
some point in time, he had already issued this and says, you know what, I'm, I, hey, this is going to be the incentive, okay? And whoever go out there and fight, you know, tell all the people, tell all the soldiers, hey, whoever go out there and fight, I got some. They're going to be rich, house going to be free, the whole household, and they're going to get my daughter. And y'all know it's not like the army today, right? You can't say that today. You got to specify. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> all these things he promised and still for all that time, none of them went in to go fight Goliath. So either his money wasn't all that much, maybe his daughter wasn't all that You know... <laughs> I'm not, I promise you I'm not trying to be rude. I just This is stuff I think about when I'm looking at this. I'm like, man, that wasn't enough? Look at what David did. I'm going to wrap this up real quick. This part. David spake to the man and said, to the man that stood by him and said, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? Taketh away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is little David talking. Woo. And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the man. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Why are you getting mad? Because David is looking at it from the right perspective. I have never seen so many jealous folks over people that's doing the right thing just because you don't want to do what's right. People in the church, bitterness, hatred, unforgiveness, and everything else. Why? They watching somebody else. The man of God said, do such and such. Or he just said, you know, sometimes the man of God just put it out there or whoever says, hey, you know what? I'm looking for God to do this. God moves upon somebody's heart to go do it. And they accomplish it. Great things happen. Now you mad, but did you forget God was moving on your heart to do the same thing? You didn't move. When you was being counseled and you was being told the right things to do, you did what you wanted to do. Now you ain't positioned to get blessed like you should be, but it's really to your own demise. It's your own fault. It's not the next person's fault. If their ministry is flourishing, we should rejoice and be glad with them that God is moving in their lives and helping them. Some folks come out the street, and God delivers them and saves them, and next thing you know, they're going forth and they're doing great things for God, and those that have been sitting in the same pew for years ain't moved, ain't did nothing. Now they want to be jealous because God is changing somebody else's life and using them to do great things. David, why are you talking all this stuff? Man, you ain't even in the army. You bringing us cheese. All you know is sheep. We the ones been out here training. We the ones been out here fighting. We've been with Saul this whole time. 
You don't know what you're talking about. Sit down somewhere. Why camest thou hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep? Look what he asked him. Who you leave the sheep with, David? You over here meddling in our business. You're supposed to just drop off the sheep. Where are the sheep at? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, but thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You came to look, huh, David? David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? I'm here for a reason. You turn from him. You know what? I'm not even going to continue. I'm over my time. We're going to continue next week. I already told him it's part one for today. I already knew I wasn't going to get through the whole thing. Amen? But we're talking about the conqueror, so we're just examining what happened here because we're going to talk about some things as we go through. Believe you me, we got, there's more to come. But come expecting, come ready to take notes, come ready to, to continue to learn about the things of God. Now you have some of the stuff that we're going to talk about next week, so you can review that. And uh, we'll indulge in that, uh, continuing that next week. Amen? God bless you. Let's get ready for a dynamic service.